What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the From Downtown Podcast. I'm your host, Dahani Joseph, and today we are continuing the What's Next series with the Brooklyn Nets. One of the two teams from my hometown, New York, the Nets have had probably the most tumultuous last couple of years from a personnel standpoint, as well as the media headlines that their stars and ex-stars have created. Will Brooklyn finally be able to right the ship and make it to the finals? Or will they continue the media soap opera that can make it to Broadway as far as I'm concerned? Find out my thoughts and more coming up right now. Alright, so let's get started with the team overview. Okay, so for the Brooklyn Nets 2021-2022 season, they had a record of 44-38, and which was 7th in the Eastern Conference. That's a four-game decrease from the previous season's win total, and up until New Year's Eve, the Nets were actually good, right? By December 31st, they held the number one seed in the East at 23-10, and rivaled only by the Chicago Bulls, who were also rev- reveling in a first half of the season run. Sure, one can look at the Kevin Durant injury that sidelined him for almost two months. You can look at Kyrie playing in half the games due to the vaccine mandate in New York. You can even look at James Harden's eventual departure and Ben Simmons' entrance, or lack thereof, to Brooklyn. With all that being said, it was just a weird season. That culminated into a loss in the Eastern Conference first round to the Celtics in four games. In terms of points per game, Brooklyn had an average of 112.9, which is 9th best in the NBA. Opponents' points per game, 112.1, which is 18th best. Offensive rating, they were at 113.6, which was 11th best in the NBA. Defensive rating, 112.8, which is 19th best. And net rating of plus 0.8, 15th best in the NBA. Now, the stat that has probably the most relevance is their title odds, which was plus 230 which was the number one odds. These guys were title favorites, and there was good evidence at the time to support it. You have to take into consideration when the season first started, this team was headlined by Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, three of the most offensively talented and gifted scorers the NBA has ever seen. Kevin Durant and James Harden, both MVPs, both scoring champions. Kyrie Irving, one of the big catalysts for that 2016 Cleveland title team. You have to take all that into consideration and think these guys could each go off for 50 points in a game if they wanted to. They're that special and that talented of an offensive trio. The problem was, one, they would they could never stay on the court together, which I'll get into in a little bit. But two, most importantly, there was just a hard time with meshing as to who's going to be point guard. Is it going to be James? Is it going to be Kyrie? Is Kevin Durant going to play point forward? There are so many parts in this equation that really Steve Nash, who was brand new at coaching, he really couldn't figure out. What made this team so weird to watch at times was that factor that there were so many iterations of the team. You could have nights where you had Kevin Durant and James Harden playing together. You could have a night where Kyrie joined those two. Or sometimes it could be just KD and Kyrie. Or maybe only one of the stars played. 
As a result, they never truly could find a true offensive rhythm, rhythm and philosophy, and that not only could hurt the stars, but also the role players. Steve Nash's inexperience as a coach definitely could be attributed to that. But think about it. When you have three of probably the top ten scores in the game on the same team, you'd think you'd have a better offensive consistency than ninth. Ninth in points per game, nothing to seize at. But the prior season, they were ranked second. I'm sure the health of some of the players had a lot to do with that. But regardless, there was a significant drop-off. One stat that always baffled me is the fact that during the year or so that Brooklyn had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden on the same team, they only played a total of 16 games. What? That, that, that's unheard of for a big three. Within those sorts of games, they went 13-3. and three. That's an 81% win percentage. That just leaves me even more intrigued as, as well as disappointed. What if James Harden had no hamstring issues? What if Kyrie got vaccinated? What if Kevin Durant was a shoe size smaller so that potential game-winning shot against the Bucks would have been counted as a three rather than a two? What if he had both Kyrie and Harden in that full series? Does it even go to a game seven? These few things potentially cost Brooklyn a title, maybe even two. They were that special offensively that even if their defense wasn't top ten like typical championship teams, you had three players that at any moment could give you 50-plus. That just doesn't happen, and it's a damn shame. We could never see that iteration of Brooklyn at its fullest potential. Now, let's get into Kevin Durant and Kyrie, who were the two focal points of this Brooklyn team. When, when you think of the best scorers in the league today, who are the first two that come to mind? No matter who you ask, you probably don't get too far into naming names without coming up upon Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. If I'm being honest, these two stars were major players in me falling in love with the game of basketball. I've had seen snippets of games, whether it be my dad watching TV or what have you. My first true basketball memories were watching Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant highlights on YouTube when they were on Cleveland and LKC respectively. I was just mesmerized by the way they made the game look so easy. The way that Kyrie handled the basketball and finished, the manner in which Kevin Durant could, as Stephen A says, pull up from 30 and no matter what, you thought it was going in. But let's get this clear right now. I want my opinion to be very clear here. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest players the game has ever seen. Career 27 points per game score, he came just a tenth of a point away from averaging 30 this past season. He's a walking bucket, absolutely no doubt about it. He's won championships, he's won an MVP, all the accolades a player could want. But the one thing he has never had, and most likely will never have, is the claim that he has been the best player in the world for a significant stretch. Let me explain. Kevin Durant was drafted in 2007, from 2008 to around 2020. LeBron James was the best player in the world. I know some people may dispute that Steph Curry may have had a small run in there or Durant when they were winning championships. Of course, you had guys like Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan in there as well, but the totality of LeBron James's game as well as how he had the ability to drag teams with inferior talent at times to finals after finals. There's no question in my mind that he was the best. From 2020 to today, although the race is close, I say that Giannis Antetokounmpo is now the best player in the world. There's something about the pure physical dominance that Giannis presents on both ends of the floor that just stands out to me. Add to the fact that he constantly comes in and improves year in and year out, 
there is no ceiling for Giannis's abilities. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into my take on him now. I'll save that for another episode. But the bottom line is this. Kevin Durant is the second best player in the league. And that's the best he's ever going to achieve. Now, let me, let me get to Kyrie Irving. I believe that Kyrie Irving can be the reason that the Brooklyn Nets make a title run this year. He is that special of a talent and that pivotal of a force within not only this Nets organization, but also within the entire NBA as a whole. Kyrie Irving during his last three seasons as a Brooklyn Net, 27 points per game, 6 assists, and 4 rebounds. Those are all NBA numbers that he has been putting up. His production has never been the issue. Kyrie's issue these last few years has been his ability, or inability in this case, to be on the court for games. In his last three seasons, he has played 20 games, 54 games, and 29 games respectively. Now, to be fair, nobody could have anticipated the COVID-19 pandemic. But there are two reasons why that excuse isn't valid. One, everyone went through the pandemic and everyone had to get the vaccine. It wasn't like other players didn't have reservations either. But when it came down to it, these guys knew that this was a responsibility they had to take care of. Two, and this is something I wasn't really privy to until researching for this episode. He has a career average of 55 and a half games a season. He's almost missing a third of the season every year. That simply cannot be the case when you're the second best player on a team that is in a much improved Eastern Conference from top to bottom. Home court will matter this year, especially if they're forced to go into a Milwaukee or Boston for a game seven. If Kyrie can stay on the court and play the majority of the season and postseason, Brooklyn has the potential to go all the way. But that's one hell of an if, if you're asking me. Now, it's finally time to tackle the other member of this newly formed Big Three. Mm, Big Three might kind of be a stretch to say at this point in time, considering this his past season and a half. But Ben Simmons, I believe, will have a resurgent season this year. We all understand his inability to shoot the basketball anywhere outside of a practice gym, and we all remember him passing up a wide-open layup in the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks. But I think people forget just how skilled and talented Simmons is. For his career, he averages 16-8-8 with almost two steals and a block a game. He is an exceptional passer, and when he's in the open court, he can look LeBron-esque with his ability to run the floor and throw a no-look dime to a teammate or take it himself and dunk with ferocity. On the defensive end, he is an all-world defender who can guard 1-5 without an issue and guy who won the Seals title in 2020. I believe Ben Simmons will be the defensive player of the year. I think that because of what we have seen in the past with Brooklyn's defense, if Simmons comes in and all of a sudden the Nets become a top-10 defense, there is not a doubt in my mind that he will be a major catalyst for that shift. Also, just with the Nets roster this year in general, the only true center is Nick Claxton. Simmons could play that small ball five and be able to wreak havoc on teams. Anything that he gives the Nets on the offensive end is a bonus. His value at this point lies on the defensive end. And that just so happens to be what this Brooklyn team has needed. Now that we got through the main three guys on this squad, let's get into the other guys, starting with the guards. The starting two-guard spot will be a toss-up between either Joe Harris or Seth Curry. In terms of shooting, it doesn't get much better than these guys, okay? They both average exactly 43.9% from deep, and both can give you around 11 to 12 points per game. 
Curry has shown a little bit more ability than Harris when it comes to off the dribble shot creation and finishing. But at the end of the day, when you have three guys in Durant, Kyrie, and Simmons that will attract so much attention, anybody else on the court just needs to be ready to catch and shoot at that point. That is exactly what these two guards excel at. And they will be crucial parts of this team throughout the entirety of the season. Next up is Patty Mills and Cam Thomas. While these two players are in two totally different stages of their career, Mills being a 13-year vet and a champ, while Thomas is in the second season, they both will be key contributors on Brooklyn's bench. Mills will likely spell for Kyrie when he is on the bench at point guard, but he's also very effective as an off-ball guard who specializes in three-point shooting. Thomas, on the other hand, has shown flashes of being a three-level scorer who can be a primary ball handler at times. This past summer league, he averaged 27 points per game, and while he won't get the touches to get those type of numbers, I think it's important to take into context how natural of a scorer he really is. While offense seemingly won't be an issue for this team, it is never a bad thing to have more offense creators on the floor. After that, we have Edmund Sumner, a fifth-year guard who spent the first four years of his career in Indiana. He's a guy that can make some plays, but ultimately will likely be towards the back of the rotation on this team. And similarly to Sumner, Alondis Williams, who's a rookie on a two-way deal. Again, impact only limited on this roster, but I had to mention him. Going into the wings of this team, Brooklyn actually has a lot of veteran depth at this position. In this past offseason, the Nets picked up Markeith Morris, TJ Warren, and Royce O'Neal. These are all guys that have been in the league for over six years can guard multiple positions, and have playoff experience. Morris being the guy with the most experience as he was a part of that Lakers championship team in 2020. These offseason moves really shifted my opinion on Brooklyn's outlook. Of course, if KD and Kyrie got moved, then it meant absolutely nothing. But now that they are here for the foreseeable future, the Nets have depth at one of the most important positions in basketball. Those three guys are two-way players that can each give you double-digit scoring on any given night, and also play solid defense and are switchable as well. Warren intrigues me the most out of this group from the standpoint that he has typically been one of the go-to options on his team for scoring. In 2018 and 2020, he averaged almost 20 points per game as a number one or two option. I wonder how he fares as potentially the fourth or fifth option. He's a baller, so I'm sure he'll figure it out, but it's just something to be watching out for. There are a lot of egos on this team, and that's one thing. Next up for the forwards are Kessler Edwards and Dayron Sharp, second-year players that will get the opportunity sparingly on this roster, but if they perform well, they can receive a bigger role. These two players have the chance to really thrive on the defensive end of the floor. They are both athletic and long wings that have defensive versatility, and that's a commodity in today's NBA. Their offense will come along, but if they have that dog in them on the defensive side of the floor, their value on this team and around the league will skyrocket. Finally, we go into the true lone center on this team, and that's Nick Claxton. His biggest impediment has always been his health, as he has never played more than 50 games in the season. If he can stay on the court, he will have a lot of minutes at that center spot to really show that he can be a starting caliber center in this league. Claxton's athleticism is legit, and he shows it night in and night out with his, with his leaping ability for both lobs and rejections at the rim. He is another key part of this Brooklyn team that, without him, will be devoid of a true center in the Eastern Conference that has some size when you look at the top teams in the conference.
Now for my standings prediction. Points bet, NBC's official sports betting partner, has the Brooklyn Nets at 51.5 wins this season. I actually think that's a pretty accurate total, considering the fact that the East is so loaded and it won't be a year where you see a lot of high 50-win teams to 60-win teams. But I think that when you factor in the star power that Brooklyn has put put together, plus the depth that they have acquired over the offseason, I think they can crack that 50-win mark and go a little bit over to reach around 52 to 54 wins. Having said that, like I said, this Eastern Conference is scarily good this year. I think the ceiling for this team can be a 2 or 3 seed if everything works out. The floor? Probably around 4 or 5. I just have too much respect for Kyrie and Katie and the additions that this team has made. They're legitimate. Definitely will be a tough matchup in the postseason. And if the Brooklyn Nets made it to the conference finals or even the finals, I wouldn't be shocked one bit. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode of the From Downtown Podcast. Make sure you guys rate the podcast five stars so it can move up the algorithm so more people can find it and tune in. Also, share with friends and family and subscribe. The NBA season is almost here, and I'll be covering all the marquee names and games as well as other news that happens in the NBA. Next time in the What's Next series, we'll be tackling the Charlotte Hornets and what their outlook is for the upcoming season. Until then, take care.